Funding for Sundays on the East End comes from CP Complete Construction and Renovation, specializing in interior and exterior living spaces. CP Complete focuses on the end result throughout the entire process. Individualized attention sets their boutique construction company apart with a focused, inclusive, innovative, and personalized process from start to finish. CP Complete builds what you have imagined. Learn more at cpcomplete.com or 631-727-5741. Hi, everybody. Welcome. You're listening to Sundays on the East End with Bridget Leroy. And Alex Sokolow. You're listening to us here on 88.3 WPPB, Long Island's only NPR station. You can also listen to us online at 883WPPB.org. And we've got a really special show today. Yes, we do. Uh, really blessed today to have uh, two guests, collaborators, mother-daughter, uh, and, and good friends, uh, which is cool, uh, Julie Andrews. Uh, the iconic Julie Andrews and her daughter Emma Walton Hamilton, who have uh, worked together on over 30 projects, books, and the such, and are currently collaborating on um, the second the second installment of Julie's, Julie's life story. Sorry, um, I mean to interrupt you, Julie's memoir. But you, that's what you had brought up that I thought was really interesting before we went on the air, which is about what it is that you choose to write about. Or I'm how fascinated by that. I, I, I know your... for myself, when I started my writing career and I went out to Los Angeles, I had this preconceived notion of the stuff I was going to try and write and the statements I wanted to make. And if you had said to me when I got out to Los Angeles that I would uh, ultimately write a cartoon and a kid's movie and then multiple kids' movies and video games and kids' books and all this stuff, I would have said, no, that's not really what I'm doing. That's not why I'm here. That's not what I'm trying to accomplish. Um, and then over the years, I've had the chance to really look at it and realize that's exactly what I was supposed to be doing, that, that uh, for reasons are very personal. Yeah, that's, that's what um, you're talking about. It. The, the, the child I was, the child I still am, the desire to touch base with that, part of my personality and also protect kids and celebrate uh, imagination and, and all of these things as I've grown older and wiser as a writer I realize are these gifts that I didn't even realize that's who I was and so I think that that'd be a really interesting thing because uh, our guests today have collaborated on a bunch of children's books, and I always think that's an interesting choice. Well, you know what? I, can I just riff off of what you said? Because that's I, I just had an aha moment as well, which is you know dealing in journalism as I do, and I can say it's part of my personality. I want to write quick and dirty, and we're quick and clean, and get out of there. But I realized that also, you know, my background, of course, and and you knew my dad was he he was a man of great stories, and he liked to embellish a great deal. Um, on these stories, if, if Warner's, you know, if Warner Leroy said, you know, there were 150 horses running up a hill, it was like one guy on a donkey, you know. So, I deal in, in truth. I try to deal in truth and, and fact. And I would say there is no truth. Well, you, then you you're getting deal, conceptual. Well, but there is no truth. So journalism is just another narrative. Uh, what you try to do is is have the ability to back up what you say. Right. Whereas people in fiction don't have to back it up with facts, but with emotions. Right. That's a good point. Well, we do have these great guests today. We have Julie Andrews and Emma Walton Hamilton, who are going to talk about their collaboration and their writing and... And their journey. Their journey, their journey. as uh, the work. I, I do believe 
uh, maybe with the exception of Lenny Reifenstahl, that, that you shouldn't judge somebody by their work, but, but you could actually, I know, I, I just went there. Yeah, you um, did. You went like, to a <laughs> very esoteric there. place. Well, People yeah. are like Googling right now. Right, I know. But ultimately, it does come down to the work. It always comes down to the work. It comes down to the statements you make, the expressions you make, and ultimately how you connect with a greater audience. And so, well, and how you connect with your inner self through the work. For sure. Right, because yeah. that's part of the journey. Yeah, for sure. So that, I'm, I'm fascinated by that. I know we just are getting over a holiday or still celebrating a holiday, depending on what family you're in. Yeah. And that's interesting to me because we're also talking about family and we're talking about, I would how like to, to think. How to collaborate with them. And also how to share a narrative. Yeah, that's true. Because you can get to a table where everybody has a different idea of what went down and that can <laughs> right. lead to fisticuffs. But the whole idea. Or of, Thanksgiving. Or lots of giving thanks. There you go. <laughs> So anyway, you are perspective. Yes, yes. Well, we'll, we're going to take a quick break uh, and we'll be right back with our guests, Julie Andrews and Emma Walton Hamilton. You're listening to Sundays on the East End with Bridget Leroy and Alex Ockler. We'll be right back. The following is a public service announcement from 88.3 WPPB. Founded in 2002, Fighting Chance is a free-of-charge cancer counseling and resource center independent from any hospital and funded solely by charitable contributions located in Sag Harbor on Long Island's East End, providing patients and their caregivers free access to a variety of resources and professional counseling. More information at fightingchance.org or 631-725-4646. We're back with Sundays on the East End. You're listening to Bridget Leroy. And Alex Sokolow. And you can listen to us online at 883wppb.org. Uh, you can listen to us on the radio. And we are here with our brilliant producer, Kyle Lynch, and our guests, Emma Walton-Hamilton and Julie Andrews. Welcome, Hello, guys. Welcome. Welcome. Thank you so much for coming on. So happy to be here. Yes. So we were talking about narrative and journeys, and you guys are sharing a journey right now, uh, and it must yeah, what, be... What are you guys working on right now? <laughs> <laughs> Simple question. How long ago was the first memoir? Uh, ten years ago. About ten years ago, uh, a memoir of my early years was published, and, and I fortunately had a lot of people saying, when, is, when are you going to continue and write the next bit. And so I started, and Emma has been my great collaborator, and, and, and I couldn't possibly manage without her. So we're writing it together. She probably more than more than I am, I think. But it's based, I, I mean, and th- this just brings an entry, because I have a little backstory here. It's, you kept journals, diaries, well, for years. Uh, yes, for, for uh, on and off, but, but um, the years that I'm writing about, uh, happily, the diaries were, I was keeping them, and uh, this is kind the, of from the really big things. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's she what kept I want diaries to... on vacations, but not during the <laughs> making of the Sound it's, of Music, as, for as, as the band Gogo Bordello has in one of the lyrics, it's more than the truth; it actually happened. Right. No. Well, but that's a very interesting point. I mean, just as as we're talking about family and collaboration, um, for you, Emma to be looking at these diaries, what, what does it, con- because a, a lot of this happened, well, a lot of it happened also during your teenage years, and teenage mother, you know, teenage <laughs> kids and their moms don't always see eye to eye, so what is this kind of conjuring up for you in particular, looking at this stuff? Yeah, it's, it's fascinating, it's very moving, I mean, I, what I'm realizing, I think, people ask me often when they find out what we're doing, what I'm learning, what have I discovered that I didn't know before, and it's not as though there are any, I mean, we, we've always had a really very connected relationship, and I think I pretty much know all the family secrets and always have, 
But so there's nothing, there's no great revelations in terms of facts. But what I have been deeply moved by in reading these diaries, because of course they do spend years that I was there, um, and certainly there are times when my point of view is quite different than hers, you know, of an event that happened. Mm -hmm. But what I've been really struck by is um, in those years where she's in her 30s and 40s and and I'm in my you know, on elementary school. Yeah. <laughs> so just last, this last decade. Huh? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Uh, she's, you know, she's juggling a lot. She's juggling parenting. She's juggling a marriage, a second marriage. She's juggling her career and all of this stuff. And there is a kind of um, innocence and um, confusion in the diaries, which is, of course, why one keeps the diaries to figure out stuff. But there's a kind of um, lovely innocence that when you're a kid and you look at your parent, you think, well, they're a grown up. They, they must know what they're talking about. They must have all the answers, right? And now I realize being a parent myself and being much older than she was when she wrote those diaries, that actually we, we don't have it all figured out, you yeah, know? Yeah, and yeah, for sure. You know, much as I might have thought she did, she was figuring it out then right. just as well, I'm I, figuring it out now. I think it's just a question of, of, of learning your whole life long. Uh, uh, it, it seems that nobody knows exactly how to be born or how to die and how to parent in between and, and how to grow up. And uh, it's just, I think, the most important, most valuable thing you could be in life. And I think we are, and that is curious. Yes, uh, and Emma is, is wonderful at asking me questions and, and getting to the root of something, which I might want to uh, gloss over occasionally. So is it sort of like being in therapy, but well, with your not, daughter? Not really. Um, but I think the other thing, and particularly with the first book, you knew nothing about the war years or what it was like growing up during World War II. Uh, and, and I just think it was, a, you know, you sort of filled in all the pieces of the jigsaw for yourself. Yeah, that was more fact, you know, discoveries. Well, there's but also this, this is... thing that, I, and again, I, I say self-reflectively, um, the role you're asked to play as a child that you get success for as a child is kind of the role you're going to play for most of your life. Mm -hmm. And then you actually deal with life. And life doesn't necessarily want to treat you that way. <laughs> and that becomes the real tug or the fog that you might yeah. be well, talking about. Well, if I can jump in, because obviously with Julie, with your first book, I mean, you were sort of, I don't want to say pushed into the limelight, but let's face it, you kind of, kind of were. I mean, you were very successful at a very young age, way yes. before Mary I always Poppins. I say that I grew up very late, but uh, although I was unbelievably and happily successful and you know, gratefully so, uh, at many things, my actual awareness of who I was and where I was heading and what I might want to do uh, came much, much later. It, it was all about absorbing and learning and watching. And But paradoxically, I think that's because you started working so early. So in a sense, you had a sort of an arrested development. You you know, you, by, by the time you were 12, you were working professionally in mm. theater and then out on the road and touring and vaudeville and all of that. Right. And so, but it, it begs the question for me, which I'll go back to when you guys have collaborated, a lot of your collaboration are on children's books. Mm -hmm. And I don't see children's books as being written for children, Personally, I think they're books that are written... For the parents? For, well, no, I think they're written to actually start to get at the biggest life lessons, and they are moments that parents and ch children can share. Mm -hmm. So Very, very... Well put. Yeah, very well put. I like having yeah. them around. Yeah. Yeah. That's why he gets the big Also, bucks. we don't, the, the we don't talk down to kids. We try to yeah. sort of uh, yeah. um, treat them as... My, my dad treated all of us as beloved equals, and... I think he, 
infused that into us too, into his kids. And it's so important not to condescend to your kids or treat them like little little things. Or to be, do the eugenics thing and treat them like little adults, because they're not that either. No, right. no. But, Kids. But, but, but or let's compete. Right. So, yeah. so yeah, yeah. I, I, this is such a simple, this is almost like an interviewing question, but why that medium? Why children's books? Why, when you guys collaborated? For me, uh, I was listening to your early talk when you were just introducing the whole program, Alec, and falling into something that you never imagined that would be your main career thrust. And I think... You know, the the years on Broadway for me were all about learning my craft and finding out who I was and what I wanted to do. But I think it was the good fortune of being asked to do Mary Poppins that suddenly a lot of children invited me into their hearts in a way. And I was delighted, I found. Right. And um, from that, people are inclined to slightly bracket you, uh, bracket one. Right. We and were talking about that uh, prior. Yes. Uh, I, and, and I'm going to say this again uh, as, a, as a compliment. I've had the chance to work with Tom Hanks a couple of times. And the thing with Tom that Great I... Guy. Right. Yeah. The th- well, here's what I think is it's got to be so difficult to sometimes be Tom Hanks because the entire world thinks they know you. Yes. And they know you for... The power the char- of the character, <laughs> the character that you play. And generosity of and the man. And over a time, yeah. I think you have to become that. Yes. Right? So, yes. And so and not just well, with Mary you know, Poppins, but with The with other sound side of music. it is, though, there has to be that part of him in the movies for them to be as successful as they are. So there's that part of you, obviously. Right. I don't know, but but uh, <laughs> I mean, I, 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 well, I, if it works for Tom, it works for you. No, 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 no. But, no but, but, I, but, I claim but, to be terribly uh, fortunate in the people that have uh, guided me and mentored me, and and I, they've just I've had phenomenal people uh, uh, helping. But I just think that two things: one, the, the first two big films I ever made were, of course, Poppins and The Sound of Music. But secondly, um, having uh, my own daughter and then um, having other children in the family because when I married Blake he had two children already so I became a stepmom and then we adopted two children and so we're five kids in the family as a family and somehow children the, the importance of, of writing for them became paramount it, it just it, it did fall into it because of what I'd been exposed to partially but also, I guess there was something. Uh, I never loved kids that much before I had you, my darling. <laughs> I, I, I'm the same way with Georgia. I yeah. really, I wasn't a very good babysitter. No, I didn't, I didn't like other people's And the book's kids. still out with me. And mine are 21 and 19. 22 <laughs> and 19, sorry. <laughs> but I would, kidding, I would add kidding. to that, actually. Am I, I mean, not? I haven't ever really thought about this before in this way. And my, my trajectory to writing for kids is, is a little bit different than yours. Yes. Um, but I would say that... You know, people ask me all the time, what is it like, what's Julie Andrews like, what is it like to be Julie Andrews' daughter, and I'm sort of always in some form of trying to come up with an answer I can just, you know, <laughs> trot out as yeah. needed. But, but an the elevator truth pitch. Of the matter, an elevator pitch, right. <laughs> but, but the best one that is really the truest one is that I often say to people, you know, I'm happy to report that she's every bit as good an egg as you might hope and imagine she is. You know, she's really actually and a really lovely person. And I insist on it. Totally tidy bedroom, do I? No, you no. don't. <laughs> but no. the reason that's—I think the reason great. that's so. No, it, the truth is, I—I I couldn't. I couldn't understand why she couldn't just snap her fingers. Why do I have to clean my room for Christ's sake? <laughs> right. But anyway, but I think the reason that 
people love you on screen and those of us who are fortunate enough to know you in person realize that you're every bit as lovely in person is because you, you again, I'm just going back to your childhood, you became a sort of a caretaker very, very early in your childhood. I mean, well, you I were... Well, actually, from about 12 years old exactly. onwards, was taking care of my whole family one way and another. So, right. and, 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 and again, the first two movies that you mentioned, the most like iconic movies, you're, the, you're powers, the powers that be, whoever is there making the decisions, saw in you the embodiment of the ultimate perfect caretaker. Well, I happened to be in the right place at the right time and thank God for it and for all those good people. But yeah. isn't it crazy? I mean, because it is. I mean, you were the, the caretaker as, as a child and mm. then you became just about the world's most famous caretaker with Mary Poppins <laughs> and Maria von Trapp. If they only knew, so yes. So Emma and I were talking about karma into mission. There you go. Mm -hmm. I mean, that's one example of it. Right. That whatever, what is that? Well, the idea that karma, people think karma means payback, and it, and it doesn't. It really means kind of your character defects or your character's strengths, something that you've developed and at some point it gels in your life for some reason and yeah. it might have seemed really painful at the time to live through it but then suddenly it becomes something good it's that's turning your karma into mission trajectory that you're unaware of at first yes that's brilliant that's yeah. brilliant that's exactly it and and again the call if you will to service because i think when you actually are writing anything but especially writing for families it is a call to service it's a call to the better nature it, it's, it's a chance to actually touch on life lessons and themes that hopefully connect us a little bit closer. So I think, again, I'll, I'll be a little redundant, but I go back to you both gravitated toward that. Not me. I can't stand children. Not even yeah. my own. No, but, I'm but, but No, but I, but I, I oh, do think that that's fascinating, that. <laughs> especially as you guys work together that you find some commonality in something. You both approach it from different places. Yeah. yeah. We've well, that happened. sort of happened by a very happy accident, didn't well, it? Well, I mean, just for, for mine, my purposes, um, you know, for me, there really was a watershed moment, and that was when I had my first child. See, I'm saying my, the same thing. Yeah, that's, well, that's so and then funny. my second child. Yeah. You know, there was a, I was working at Bay Street Theater, and, and, we, and I was functioning as a producer. So one of the things about Emma that, by the way, I don't know if the audience knows, but uh, Emma, with, with her husband Steve, uh, helped found uh, Bay Street Theater in Sag Harbor, an equity theater uh, that is still an institution uh, to this day. And that's something I would also love to hear you talk about a little bit of how you that journey, because that's magnificent. It changed Let's talk about the village it the in a way. Yeah, that's yeah. a good idea. We can talk about it. Thank you, Emma. <laughs> We're going to talk about it when we come back after a short break. You're listening to Bridget Leroy. And Alex Sockle. And you're listening to On Sundays on the East End on WPPB, Long Island's only NPR station. We'll be right back. This is Ed German. If you enjoyed this program, call us at 800-620-8830 and make a donation right now. Our staff is now available 24 hours a day, seven days a week, or you can go online at 883wppb.org and make a generous donation to keep this program and all of the local and NPR programming you enjoy on 883wppb possible. Call 1-800-620-8830 and donate right now in support of Long Island's only local public radio and NPR station. Welcome back. You're listening to Sundays on the East End with Bridget Leroy. And Alex Sokolow. And you're listening to us here at 88.3 WPPB, Long Island's only NPR station. You can also stream us online at 883WPPB.org. So, what were you just saying just now during the break? Uh, we were rambling about on about something. I was saying that, that in creative writing, I was once told, and I, I believe this to be true, that plot is the refuge of the untalented writer. That when you actually are trying to tell a story 
with plot, you're actually not digging in deeper to the writing process. Mm -hmm. And that, and this is definitely was a Pixar uh, way of thinking, uh, that when you kind of have the story plume out from the character, from like within to out, then the plot just is what I it's supposed to be. I was just gonna say that for 44 years, I was married to the writer Blake Edwards, and he used to say that you can have the flimsiest story outline, but characters make your make your story really. And how, and how do you guys find your characters in your writing? Well, there's a number of ways, yeah, really. It depends really... what we might discuss with our uh, publishers but, and editors, but also you suddenly, something floats right under your nose, and you say, my God, I have to write about that. A couple of times that's that's happened. Well, like with what? Yeah. So um, one of our children's book series is called The Very Fairy Princess. Mm -hmm. And that Yay. was very much inspired by my daughter, Hope, who um, for the first several years of her life only ever wore dresses, only ever wore pink and purple. Until, like, and, by the way, Emma, yeah. and by the way, Emma, they say that talent skips a generation. They do. Oh, well, it didn't my so case. So I'll just say that I don't sing, but others in my family do. Yeah. But um, your daughter does. My, yeah, my point does. exactly. Yeah. But even before Very Very Fairy Princess, there was the dump, Dumpy there the, the Dump Truck, truck the dump for truck. Sam. Yeah. 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 So it there, was, there was one book, for instance, which we wrote, which is called Dragon. And it, it's a medieval, Middle Ages story. Historical but, fiction. Yeah, but it was something that I read it in um, the Reader's Encyclopedia, I think. And it was a brief description of a dog that... The dog of Montargis in, in France. And it was just basically two lines about what he was, but no one had ever defined him or solved the mystery of why he was and what happened and so on. And I, I just called Emma and I said, we have to, I have to write. With but the other interesting thing is it isn't so much the character, I mean, yes, obviously character is key, but what fascinates me is how often what we write, whether it's a picture book, whether it's a middle grade historical fiction set in the Middle Ages, you know, whether it's about uh, the a memoir, whether it's right. something about the theater, the same themes keep coming up. And, which and what watched. are those themes? And those themes for us, the recurring themes tend to be um, you're never too small or um, too individual or too outside to make a difference. Yeah, you that's can a big always one. Always make a difference, yeah. whether it, whether you're a child or a mouse, or you know, you you can make a difference, and one person can make a difference. That's a, a recurring theme that we never know we've written about until after we've written it, and yeah. then it's like, oh my god, we did it again, you know? <laughs> right. And, and, and let then me the ask arts. You, and, just, why, and why do you think that theme? Because that's that is so universal as you describe it. I think it's something that we want to impart. Yeah. Or at least, certainly, it's what we want to write about for children and but you don't go into the books julie with with that never like we're no, going to tell no, we're going to make this point from right. them. we think yeah. we're writing about one thing and it always ends up coming back to right. that, and, that yeah. and the word that comes to mind is empowerment yeah. you're empowering it is. Yeah. The, empowerment. a little book called the great american mousical and that came about My favorite book it, uh, <laughs> he loves that book uh, well it was it was quite easy to do compared to some of the others. Well, it, yeah. well it's about a, a bunch of mice who live under a, yeah. a stage but, but and put on their own I have production. to tell you right. that I was Broadway. doing um, uh, Victor Victoria, the, the uh, musical on Broadway in theater, and my lovely hairdresser came in and said this, they found a mouse in the, in the uh, wig room and in the wardrobe, and I said, oh, uh, you know, please give it a um, humane trap. Don't just trap it. And, you know, <laughs> right. well, traps have been set. I said, no, no, won't somebody please uh, take that 
little creature and, and put it out somewhere in Brooklyn in the countryside or something. <laughs> and he said, Julie, you do realize that that the theatres on Broadway are riddled with mice way, way, way down <laughs> in the basement. It. And a light bulb went off in yeah. my head, and that's when I thought, mice underneath the great theatre on Broadway are uh, putting on their own show. You know, they they all really want to direct. And then this, this, yeah, well, no, this sweet guy suddenly said, uh, my lovely Al said, he just wanted to come up and see the stars for a while, you oh, know. Oh, that's and so sweet. Yes, it, no, it was Whenever we get mice, Eric does that, and he'll, he'll take the mice away somewhere, and I'll say, well, what? where did that mouse end up? He's like, that mouse was a church mouse. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> that mouse was a river mouse. Like, he'll uh, drop so, them at so nice Emma, places. So, right, Emma, so, so you help, you know, you help found Bay, Bay Street. Street. Yes. You have your own history in theater. Yeah. And your own writing path, and you teach writing in the MFA program at Stony Brook. Right. So very accomplished author and storyteller. Thank you. Would you say that's part of, like, how did this happen? Um, well, what it's interesting to me is that it, it all came in a very roundabout way, but looking back, it perfectly led one step to the next to the next, and everything that I've ever done sort of seemed to sync up with everything else. So when, you know, I started out thinking I wanted to be, acting and directing and producing in theater, uh, we ended up founding our own theater, and mostly I was then fundraising. But, uh, <laughs> Which but, is what no. they do on the station a lot. I know. If you're listening to the show, you might want to make a donation. Because it is not it for is. profit. Anyway, um, the point is, when I was, we were about, I guess, five years into Bay Street um, when I had my first child, when I had my son Sam, and literally a window or a door opened in my mind, and I was like, we have no children's programs at this theater. Where are the children's programs? Wow. You know, like we were just programming for adults. Right. And and the first thing I did as soon as I came back to work post maternity leave was to start a kids series there and do programming for young audiences. And then I got very involved and eventually took over the leadership of the educational programs there at Bay Street. Out in the schools. So I was out in the in schools the area, teaching yeah. middle school uh, kids and high school kids mostly playwriting. And then producing oh, right. the plays that right. they wrote. You also do yawp. So yeah, yeah, that's what I do now. Building at the, uh, an audience the MFA, for yeah. the future. What, what is that? So, so that program at Bay Street was called the um, Young Playwrights Program. Now that I'm at Stony Brook Southampton and teaching for the MFA and creative writing there, I also run a program there where we take teaching artists out into area schools to lead workshops in playwriting, script writing, uh, memoir, essay, poetry, you right. know, all the same disciplines the MFA But the represents. journey, so, so again, the inflection point for, for both of you is the birth of a child. Yeah. It's, that's the moment when all of a sudden... Like, the world the becomes child-centric, and, I think. And, but the, the water is kind of, you know, clear, and you can see very clearly that these are the stories that are worth telling. Yeah, and, and more than that, just I realized that at a certain point, when the minute Sam was born, I like mom. I wasn't kid friendly. I never babysat. I never, or like you too, Bridge. Yeah. Um, you it's know, OPK, other people's kids. Yeah, other people's <laughs> no, kids. Exactly. OPKs. But it's an interesting thing because my daughter is totally kid centric. Like she loves little kids. She loves babysitting. She just adores them. I was not that child. No, but as I. soon as yeah. I had my own children. Everybody else's child became someone's Sam or Hope, right? You know? And all of a it sudden, it teaches you compassion. It teaches you compassion, and it made me totally interested in other people's kids in a mm. way I never had been before. I'll tell you the one thing about us, though, darling, is that I think I wish very much that I could um, dig into the uh, I, what's a good word, the surreal, Zeitgeist? or the uh, 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 yes, of today. <laughs> and I can't. I have to write 
a form of reality. I might write a fairy story, but it's got to be rooted in in something that stems from reality. Um, the, our earliest books, we almost... Uh, well, we argued a bit about that whether whether the magic happened. <laughs> no, we don't. Actually. Well, you know, we we had that, but we had. A, I would say it was a passionate debate that we had even in Toy Story. Yes. Of the rules. Yeah. And right. the and rules what of the world, world? What world is this taking place in? And yes. what we decided collectively is that you can break the rule once, but not twice. So, what, so in what? the end of Toy Story, there's a moment where Woody looks at uh, Sid and talks to him, and that broke the rule. That's a big rule. You're not yes, toys right. don't talk to humans. We had big debates about it. I bet. Can you do it once? Can you do it twice? What does it really mean? So I get it. And yes. And I would again go to that that fiction, especially whether it's illustrated, it's visual fiction. You're either showing a world you never knew existed, or you're showing a different version of this world. Right. But the the truth is, in our case, that we had a, a little sort of what you might imagine to be a little magic truck. And Emma said, "Why can't it just be magic?" And I said, "No, it would be so interesting if it could come from." maybe some source that's real, like lightning strikes and the radio goes on by accident. So you can decide, the reader can decide to themselves, is it a magic truck or is it really something that's just kind of wonderful about life and it, it just happens. But it's interesting now because now the kids are a bit older and, you know, Hope, Hope is in high school and Sam has just recently graduated as, you know, our kids. From um, college. Yes, yeah. from college. And now you're reflecting inward. Um, I mean, you have already done the first book, Home. Yes. And now you have this chance In to memoir, do... In memoir, yes. So now it's kind of gone out of the kid and back to the Well, we're still very much working way. with the kid as well. I mean, we did do, um, a, a little over a year ago, we did a, a Netflix uh, television show for kids. That was a whole new adventure for us. It was um, great, wasn't And that, it? again, yeah. that, that secondary what, what, theme... What was the, what, what was the it title? Was, oh, what was it was about? called Julie's, Julie's Green Room. Okay. And, um, and it was the, in partnership with the wonderful Henson. That's um, just what I was going to say. But it was amazing, amazing. Alec, because it, it actually, each show kind of gave a theme of, of theater. It was about being in a green room in the theater, but it, it Well, the dealt green room with, was the sort of central place of a little theater. Yeah. But it dealt with these amazing themes, and it also taught a little bit about kind of technical theater. Yes, like what children might tried, not yeah. know about uh, it was It was actually, backstage. I mean, it's set in a little theater very much like Bay Street, and Mom plays a character very much like I was at Bay Street in a funny way. <laughs> yeah. Um, you know, someone who works with kids in a, th in a small regional theater. And the kids were these incredible puppets that the Hans, the Hansen family Oh, they I, uh, I will never forget them nor the people yeah. that manipulated the puppets the puppeteers were that's a whole other world Alec yeah. and it's we still brilliant. and we are still writing uh, children's books we've got a couple of others in the works at the moment but you're right right now what we're doing is we're we're really focusing on moms well we have right. a deadline god bless deadlines two greatest words in the English language for a writer or actually the, the second two greatest words are the end mm -hmm. And the first two greatest words are check enclosed. Right, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> true, true, true that. Yeah. But I want to go back to this because this, I, I actually see the same thing. I actually am not a big sci-fi guy. I, I wish I could I, find some, uh, my brain would adopt it, but I just cannot. But I actually look at it and, and it, you know, the atomic bomb was not the demarcation point of this, but what actually happened in a lot of fiction post-1945 mm. is that science became something to be feared. And magical worlds that science fiction had before 1945 yes. were much more you go to a place you never thought 
existed, yeah, and then you have the like the Marvel and, comic. Well, generation. one of our books is is the last of the really great Wang Doodles, which is all about DNA. Well, that's your book. Yeah, but yes. well, but but I mean, Emma and I have been working on sort of developing it, and so oh, really, on. how but great! But the the truth is that that. That was so new at one point. Now it's everybody knows about it, but right. I remember it when it, nobody really knew. And I thought, well, children need to know. And, uh, you know, what a wonderful adventure, too. Right. And so the 1950s, among other things, uh, you, you have science exploding in a way of understanding. That's and, right. And psychology exploding yes, in a way of understanding. Yes. And, and the, the greater world, everything about science and outer space and God knows why. Yeah. Right. As per nothing. I mean, it's just, but yeah. it's interesting because. Where are you going with this? Well, where I'm going is I, I identify with the idea of you're showing something that actually could exist in this world, but you're seeing it in an entirely new way. Right, like which, Dumpy which or. Which might also go mousical. back to, to your memoir. Well, it, it, well, I was saying that it's, for me, it has to be, to some extent, it can be as, as fantasy based as you like, but it has to be based in some reality. And I think it's true for the well, way you know we write, what? I think it, it is true for the way we write, but in the end, I think it comes down to why you want to continue writing for young people. Not just how you started writing, but mm. why you continue to, to stay there in that world. And mm. what I think you and I have both come to, to really appreciate and understand, and why we now feel it's so passionately important, is that, um, you know, every one of us at this table can remember the book in our childhood that Changed our lives. Mm -hmm. Ferdinand right. the Bull. Mm. There you go. Oh, I love Ferdinand. He was quietly. So for me, it was the Phantom Tollbooth, and I fell in love with words. Yeah. You know, so we can all remember that book. That you know, how many for of me us it was can Chaucer, say it was Canterbury Tales <laughs> <laughs> at oh, age seven? Right? I know. I'm getting smart. It was Dante's Inferno. Right. <laughs> anyway, I just yeah, want to say the point that is, it's it's tools. It's what we're giving young readers is is you know a window into the world is companionship, is a reflection of themselves, and is tools with which to cope with or navigate life around them, which yeah. is, you know, adult fiction, adult movies, television, books, you know, it's, it can, it isn't always, obviously, but it can just be entertainment. We are speaking with Julie Andrews and Emma Walton Hamilton. We're talking about the creative process of writing, memoir, kids lit, theater, what else? <laughs> Zeitgeist. Uh Yes, everything. Yeah. And um, we're going to take a quick break and then come back. You're listening to Sundays on the East End with Bridget Leroy. And Alex Sokolow. 883 WPPB needs your support. Make a donation by phone right now at 1-800-620-8830 or online at 883wppb.org. Your support helps keep your favorite programs on the air all day, every day. Folks are waiting for your call right now, 1-800-620-8830, or donate online at 883-WPPB.org. We are Long Island's only NPR station. The following is a public service announcement from 88.3 WPPB. Founded in 2002, Fighting Chance is a free-of-charge cancer counseling and resource center independent from any hospital and funded solely by charitable contributions located in Sag Harbor on Long Island's East End, providing patients and their caregivers free access to a variety of resources and professional counseling. More information at fightingchance.org or 631-725-4646. So we're back uh, Sundays on the East End here with Bridget Leroy. I'm still Alex Sokolow. You are, and yeah. we're here with our wonderful <laughs> guests, Julie Andrews and Emma Walton Hamilton, talking about all kinds of stuff here on WPPB 88.3 FM. And you can also stream us online at 
883wppb.org. That's always such a mouthful. It's really it hard is. to say. It is. I couldn't do it. Try Bridget. it. Try it. It's hard. <laughs> anyway, but we were going to um, shift the discussion to, well, to music a little bit. Well, a little bit. The role of music in your writing and the role of music in your creations. Emma's very much, when we write together, she's the nuts and bolts of the story. She's what, certainly nuts. <laughs> uh, I can say that. For <laughs> you too. Uh, but but I, I sort of do the openings and closings or the, or the great chapter ending or something like that, if, if I can. For me, it's always musical, even to the early books, like the Dumpy books, when the, the uh, cockerel on the roof crows, it's the fanfare. First mm. thing in, in the book right. is right. the fanfare that announces hey, it's morning and we're off and running. And, and well, I wonder if you would just, because your background is so musical, if you just kind of hear and see things through a different prism I than, may. than, than I someone may. I who do. doesn't. I mean, it's yeah. no big thing, but... No, but well, let me ask you this question. Do you, do you have songs that play in your head? Like earworms? Well, no, just in general. Like when, You mean love, songs that I adore? And yeah, like just, that. just... Well, not as much as I do. I hear, excuse me, it sounds so boastful, but the opening of um, Dragon, for instance... Mm. I didn't see a fanfare, but I saw it's, if it were a film, it would be a big pastoral uh, scene of the morning and the mist on the on the fields and so on, and the dog finally cresting right. the hill and coming into view. And did you hear the music for that? Uh, well, I heard, basically I saw and heard that one, and, uh, and happily Emma agreed, and we were off and running with a with the beginning. I love that because for me, I actually hear songs in my head twenty four hours a day. I'll wake yes. up in the middle of the night with songs in my head. And well, of course, sometimes it's based on what you are actually thinking. Do, absolutely, have you found that? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. But but what I say it is because when I write. Depending on what I'm writing, I find I'm drawn to a soundtrack. In well, my a head. lot of uh, um, yeah, your dad, uh, my dad, yeah. Tony Walton Tony, plays yeah. music, and and Blake. Uh, used to do that mm -hmm. too. It while always, they work, while they work. But music is often a theme, also in our books. As we wrote a book called Simeon's Gift, mm. um, which we didn't think we were writing about music. We thought we were writing about nature and and family. And it turned out to be a, a very much a book about creativity about and creative block and music. And yeah. and this it's a it's a fable. And um, this traveler, traveling musician, uh, medieval minstrel, hears music, in fact, gets overwhelmed with creative overload. He is a musician. Mm -hmm. He's out studying music in the world, and there are, you know, monks chanting, and there are drummers drumming, and there, you know. But in the end, what he ends up with is music from nature. He ends up with the, mu the music the of the beats of a deer right. creating rhythm, and the music of the river, and music of a bird song, and and that sort of thing, and and how all of and how, how it affects and, him and, and affects his work. Yeah. So we, I mean, we we're all, we always come back to the arts or music, and then we package a lot of our books with a musical CD in the back. Oh, you did. That's yeah. cool. That's very well, cool. Simeon's we did. The music that gets packaged. Where does that come from? We had a great collaborator who sadly is no longer with us, but um, who was absolutely wonderful, and we worked with him. And uh, but it's usually originally composed mm. music. And, yes. Um, well, we did one book and that Simeon was actually... actually turned out to be a symphonic piece that I narrated and have used yeah, that, that, done on stage, well, which was unbelievably thrilling for, for Emma and, and for me when we first heard a full symphony orchestra. 88 pieces. Wow. Yeah, playing. Wow. The vibration of yeah. that must have been well, incredible. But the, it was 
fresh and brand new and exactly right. And uh, and there was the river in the orchestrations. Right. And the, yeah. you know, like Peter and the Wolf. But they, it see, was, it like was Peter exactly and the Wolf. Yeah. But I had to have that explained to me. Like, oh, and that's Peter's music and that's the wolf. And yeah. here comes the, the duck. Whatever, and, yeah, the yeah. duck. Such right. fun. Um, but that brings us back to such stage. Joy. The joy. It's joy. You know, to, to this memoir that you're working on which kind of starts with you at, at stage and goes through the movie well, years. Well the first correct? memoir um, was all about my early years and finally heading toward Hollywood. This is sort of about the working years and well they were all working they years. They were all working <laughs> years <laughs> they but were. a brand new kind of working which was discovering film for the first time never having made one and so on. So, so, so you start in vaudeville you start on the stage and yes. there's such a big and, and I'm saying as a consumer there's such a big difference between the very word performance. When you watch somebody give a performance on stage it's a different concept than somebody that gives a performance on screen. Oh, well you're very different. Well first of all performance is full figure all the time so you better you know Right. Be aware of that. Right. Whereas on screen, you can be in close up. It's very small. Right. Right. I, and, the, and, the word, and the word that I would always go back to is it's a presence. It's a presence that sets yes. a performance in motion, but it's not really the same concept. Yes. Didn't and it's live as opposed that, to the best take, frozen right. in time forever. Well, there's something Blake told you when, when I interviewed you last year for The Independent. What was that? Can you was remember? something about looking through a keyhole? or Oh, that, no, what no. Was it? He, he um, I know exactly what it was. He became very irritated at people who kind of um, showed off in their filmmaking and would shoot through a keyhole simply because it was artistic and, and, right. and right. made a difference, whereas he never wanted his audience to ever feel a camera was even there. That's cool. And, and Pay no cool. attention to that uh, man behind the curtain. Oh, yeah. yeah. No, <laughs> Thanks but, for but throwing it, that in there. But it really <laughs> mattered to him, and I, it mattered to me that he felt that. I, I mean, I that's really appreciate it. Actually, I have to say that's my personal preference for But that, I, th I think in any form of, of, of art... Well, it's it, like, look at a stare. I mean, yeah. who better, or Rubinstein, or, yeah. or a Segovia, or yeah. anyone. You don't see the hours of work behind that easy right. and love the levitation joy giving talent and yeah, and, yeah. and and the leap into one's mind that's right which is really what I mean you one lose yourself in the experience like right. if it's really good you lose yourself in the experience you're not watching somebody work and being aware of the craft you're just having an experiential well, let's bring that back to again writing this memoir. You, you it's very self-conscious. How can you disappear yes. in the writing of your own memoir? That's what. That's exactly what I was going to say. Well, I mean, it's very hard is... to find a voice for it. Uh, that sounds really weird, having just been speaking about music and everything else, and I was raised on that. But the first one, I had a perspective which was looking at myself as a child and yet writing about myself as a child, and the two finally sort of coming together. But right. this one. Uh, is proving more difficult, I think. Do you feel that, darling? Yeah, well, I think what, what's really interesting is we start with, what, what I'm starting to see is the pattern now, and we've been at this for two years, and ho <laughs> hopefully we're in the home stretch. I don't know. And she didn't even <laughs> roll her eyes, Julie. No, she no. just said it straight out. <laughs> we time, started time, by with, the way, is a human construct. So. It's true, it's true. Well, well we it, started with... I'm certainly older than when we started. <laughs> <laughs> we started with facts. We started with events. You know, we started with a timeline, basically. Right. That's what we, that was the we, first thing terrifying. we did we yeah. built a timeline of her life and we and all the events and and we're and that is a living thing that is constantly being added to and right. but is the sort of structure or it, the architecture the, of the, the book main framework the architecture. Yeah. right yeah. it is i mean again this, this is an assumption though like when you're when you're looking at the hollywood years when you're looking at your your 
career that's taking on, you know, out there, as if we're not out there, but out there. Um, <laughs> I, I, find, I find like one of the things about movie sets or TV sets, and I'm saying if I'm a writer, not as, as a performer, is that there are places of work, but they're excruciating, slow, followed by heightened reality. Right. Well, you think that, I mean, depending if you're just a, an observer or somebody just walking onto a studio set, you think nothing's going on. Right. Of course, it, it, nobody's going to waste that vast amount of money and something's going on all the time. They're oh, either course. painting the something or fixing a doorknob that keeps falling off or lighting or whatever. Right, but as you're navigating your career, I'm, I'm actually curious but that, that you know, you're immortalized on the screen and you have to show up every if day. You're lucky. If you're very, lucky, very, if you're lucky, very then, lucky. Well, or or very talented, but you have to show up every day, and that's a workplace. That's and you have to hold a film in your head, uh, in bits like a jigsaw puzzle, all the time, right. because you don't shoot in sequence, and you could film the ending somewhere in the middle of the movie uh, schedule, and so on. Whereas. On stage, you go from beginning to end right. every day. Right. But bringing yeah. it back to memoir, I think you know one of the things that we haven't touched on is that there's this there's this third component um, in our relationship, in our working relationship, which is our editor. And so you know we have multiple versions now, multiple revisions and versions that we. I keep losing. <laughs> with, yeah. Which um, which well, I have. Don't worry, I have the master. I know, darling. I have I several know. versions. Um, but you know, so what will happen is we'll start with a scene or a chapter or several chapters that are primarily kind of anecdotal and factual, and we'll send it to her, and then she'll say. But what were you thinking here in this moment? Or but what was that like? Or how does it feel when you, looking back on that, you know, to which mom's knee-jerk reaction is usually, I don't remember. Or, <laughs> right, right. How or, do I know? I was right, busy exactly. working. Right, right, right. Right. But then it's my job to pick at that and to go, well, let's talk about that for and a you know, moment. And you know, the what interesting is thing like? is, is you know? that once you've opened me up, it comes. memory oh. comes flooding back in a way. No, and, no, and it's very, very interesting. And that brings us back to this mother-daughter relationship. I mean, yeah. is this, how do you guys navigate it as a mother and daughter? I mean, I love my mother dearly, as you know, but I can't imagine, well, maybe I can. I mean, just the idea oh, of working your with mom your mother. Oh, your mom is very, very talented. And you right, but, but there is, how do you guys as, navigate as only, as that? The, as the only Neanderthal male in this conversation, <laughs> I will say <laughs> that my observation on, on mothers and daughters, which is complicated is that women have a much better sense of emotional real estate than men have yeah. and that as daughters rise up into their own adulthood it becomes a battle for emotional real estate maybe perhaps it doesn't with fathers and sons uh you know you you you, you talk sports and you punch each other oh i don't believe that at all i don't i don't think that's true no, as I a think woman it is, I know. Sure. it does it does it, but the but, father the son has to become the father in a way I mean, no, it has so, to and that's, compete. Yeah. yeah, that's for sure. I mean, but I don't think, I, I'll tell you something. <laughs> I mean, I, I spend a lot of time saying I wish that every a human being in the world could have this experience of doing a memoir with, with a parent, an older parent, because it is such a gift and a yeah. privilege it's and an honor, you know. Too, a learning experience. Yeah, and it gives me a window into my own history, into my kids' history, and so forth. I mean, it is such an incredible, I wish I could do it with my father, you know. I wish I, I wish I could clone myself because I you feel like. You only have to have enough time, darling, I know. and you could. I, it is such a gift to be able to do this, but I don't think we would have been able to do it as 
if, if there is any ease or which I think there is there, I do. is, there is a shorthand now, there is a, a, a rapport. Right. We finish each it, other's sentences and we do that. God knows what. Um, but right. there's also, well, we, we intuitively know how to navigate the moments of but tension it, it and so forth. it comes from respect. And I think it comes from respect and go. it comes from having collaborated on so many other creative endeavors. But even to from this the point. beginning, we would talk things through and argue things through, but there was never, I've got to win or it's got to be my way or else. It no, was, no, there's, we both know there's a, we have a tacit understanding of the best idea wins. Right. And so, but, but, and somehow we both recognize we which is the best right, So we know also, what the best idea and, is. And I'm big know. into unifying principles. I'm big into this idea that there's always something that connects. There's a bigger truth happening. And, and would you say in your collaboration, uh, you know, you mentioned the, the little guy winning, kind of the little guy being empowered. Um, is there a unifying principle of the narrative that you guys are kind of creating in the well, memoir? Well, that does come first, in yeah. a way. And that's the, we certainly aim for that rather than any personal um, like a, is that the voice you mean, like gratification, the, like the architecture of the? Yeah, well, the theme about? is yeah, is theme. probably what we're both aiming for, and truth in that theme. Or I mean, I, I say that very, very loosely because we we veer all over the place. But it's something that we share, which is finding out our direction together. And 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 I I do think that that collaboration comes from a certain kind of understanding. Would it come from? Anybody else, if we weren't related, a mother and daughter, maybe. I, th I think we're able to go places. Well, you have the private shared, places that, have... that that you know maybe don't end up on the page, but having kind well, you, of you have the have shared experience. Yes. At this yes. point, yes. Emma's rem remembering a lot. I of would this hope stuff as well. that whoever whomever one works with, you have a certain respect and, and, and you're able to listen. But somehow it's deeper than that for us. It's also I have to say that the great surprise of working together and it's a lot of years now of working together, is that it has really strengthened our relationship. I, mean, I suppose it could have gone the other way. Yeah, but it, it really could have absolutely done yeah, gone the totally. other way. And but this, this uh, memoir has been a big test. This is, I mean, it, you know, it's not like everything is unicorns and sparkle ponies. You know? No, I mean, no, there but, are... but, but I would imagine, uh, and, and again, without judging the business side, I would imagine everybody's kind of running around moment to moment, deal to deal, movie to movie, TV, and that... It's hard to maybe see a through line that thematically con connects to a child, because you know even if it's just hard. It's, well, it's and a different... lot of other things that you have to hold in your mind. I mean, we. It's funny because people are like, "How do you do this?" I couldn't do this with my mom. We'd be picking yeah. at each other. We'd be bickering at each other. We don't have time to bicker at each other. We're too busy trying to figure out what that idea is before or the deadline. The best way to say right. that sentence yeah. or the best before word. Before the deadline you know. of poor Emma having to go and collect her daughter from school or right. a, real life, to, real, real life, life. dentist appointment. No, but I mean, we don't. It's like if we've got three hours at a stretch to work on something, we're not going to spend that time right. bickering because don't you think time though, is that too that Our show is called uh, Sundays on the East End, and East End is a big part of oh, this. And don't you think that, that yeah. being on the East End of Long Island, I know it's for me, I've lived here full-time a little over three years, my writing has been better, the process, That's fascinating. The, the, yeah. everything about being here has helped me. Because Jules, the, you, you live here full-time. I do now, yes. Yeah. I used to, I lived in LA as, as you did yeah. uh, for and how many, do you many feel, years. Do you feel the creative, everyone talks about the creative vortex that yeah. kind of it resides here on the East it. End. I think it's more peaceful here and less frantic. But also, uh, the for if one was a painter, the light here is so gorgeous too. But uh, whether that affects us in any way, I don't know. I think it's a common, it's, 
it's a it's a perfect storm right. of being close enough to the center of creativity in the world if you you know pardon my city. bias but new york city yes. right is yes. is 2 hours away and that it obviously is is close enough to permeate and influence the culture here but it's also exquisitely beautiful you know the light the, the air, but, but the, I would, I would go know. back to this idea of time, though, because what I have found out here is that time does not exist in the same way it existed when I lived in Southern California. I think that's because you're not in a car as many hours a But day. it's also because I'm not on a clock with white noise in a marketplace where everybody, whether I know them or not, is chasing something mm. in my mind. People are very, very decent out here in the Hamptons. I think people are... They still have a, a contact with themselves and, and a relationship with each other. Whereas because of cars and things like that, it, it's no less important in L.A., but maybe it is slightly disassociated. But, but you know, like for me, and again, uh, I, I say this with love, I feel like everybody that works in the entertainment industry is a melon in a supermarket. And I think that when you're a really nice melon, you're in the front row and they put the <laughs> mist on you and everything's great and they charge 85 cents a pound. And when you get dinged up a little bit, you end up in the fruit salad. You know? <laughs> like, and I never could get that out of my head out there. I'm right? not sure. I'm not sure. Because there's going to be one melon that just slides forward and, and there's a great melon. A yeah. fantastic melon. Yeah. <laughs> or, or gets to the front and is not such a great melon, but has its moment. Right. Yeah. of being well, it, people thinking it's a great melon. It's no. like those wonderful goods that they have out here at Thanksgiving and and uh, um, uh, Halloween and things, and they're the most extraordinary shapes, and you want to collect them all. Right. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Well, so after this memoir, this is the second in a trilogy. So, well, the, from your it, lips to someone's ears, I don't know, but I hope so. It is actually hopefully it, intended that way. That is what, what the first the one? So, so, so the first book is the first roughly 30 years or 27 years of her life um, from her childhood. Right. And that's called Home. And that's called Home, a memoir of my early years. And it takes it takes the reader up till the point where she uh, was invited by Walt Disney to come out to Hollywood to do Mary Poppins during Camelot, during the production of Camelot. And um, this... I just want to appreciate that sentence. I know. Free consent. It's a great <laughs> sentence. <laughs> anyway, it's fun to say then, that sentence. This book picks up literally from the moment she steps off the plane in Hollywood to be, to embark upon this role in this film and subsequent roles in subsequent films. And it takes us just prior to the time when she returns to Broadway to come back east to do Victor Victoria. And when is and the publication date for this? Fall next year, fall, fall of 2019. Yes. So if so there, there is Mary Poppins. See? <laughs> <laughs> so this is really a memoir. We don't actually have an official title yet, but this is a memoir of the Hollywood years, for lack of a better Although expression. I have a personal favorite title, which I'm hoping uh, that I might get to use. I, I always thought if the first book is home, this one would be homework, homework. Oh, I like that. With a, but one word, but with a Capital W. We in love the it. Right. But I like that. Yeah. Some people have said it sounds like drudgery because they associate. And it homework. isn't. I think yeah. everything is work. Right. I mean, you must have found that, uh, we'll Alec. In, in I, uh, yeah, you know what? Um, yes. And when my mind's right, it doesn't feel like it's onerous. No, my that's mind right. Is it's wrong, gotta be enjoyable. Yeah. I can't stand what I'm doing, and <laughs> I quit like every day, fifty times. And well, so it's know, all about getting my mind right. Yeah. We only and who have, do you have to prod you back into? Is it you, uh, or is it, do you have somebody that 
nudges you and pushes no, it, you. you know what, for, Studios, for me, maybe. Well, you know what? I'm very conscientious. I really believe when you get, and it, and you use the word gratitude, when you get the gift of being, somebody trusts you. Yes. And and the gift of being given an opportunity. Yes. I, uh, that, uh, weighing is the wrong word, but I care about that. I care that these are people... Oh, we who, are so incredibly fortunate. Right. Yes, and see, these, I, these I are get... People, there eight, are eight so, stories there's so on much, a Thursday, and they yeah. have to be done by Monday morning. Yeah. So I but don't really so get much But there's so much talent out there. It's right. huge. We, but we you asked about the third minutes. book. Yeah, it's the third say. book. So yeah, you back, asked about Victor the third Victoria, book. So, back on Broadway. Yeah, if, if and when, hopefully, there is a third book, we'll see. Um, then that will be the return to New York, the return to the New York stage. And probably called Home Stretch. Right, and the grappling with um, the loss of her singing voice and the 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 start of her directing life and, and her writing and life, beginning to write our books together. Right, right. Like exactly. Another career so. altogether. I heard that you're the, the you directed in Australia last year. Yes. Uh, was it the sound? My fair lady. My fair lady, and yeah. I heard it was spectacular. It was. was. <laughs> <laughs> I heard it was spectacular. No, I have to say it's one of the things that I'm very very proud of. I was given every possible assistance and it seemed that money was no object, although I'm, I hope I didn't break the bank. <laughs> but it was glorious to look at, glorious to hear. The sound was amazing. It the was look at the of Sydney it was, Opera House. And oh, the, wow. yeah. the um, performances were extraordinary. And it was... I still think of it as a total, absolute joy. And That's you great. can imagine for me, we we were fortunate enough to come and down and see it. you never saw the original. And I never, I wasn't born when, right. when mom performed the role on Broadway. And of course, she didn't get the opportunity to play it on the screen. So for me, I had seen two black and white grainy production numbers that were done on the Ed Sullivan show, and that's it. And obviously heard the album. You know, the I, I, got stuck, I got stuck in an elevator with Ed Sullivan when I was five years yeah. old. <laughs> and, and he cursed me out. No. Because he, he, he was a little claustrophobic. And I actually thought, where can I get this kind of respect? I'll become a screenwriter. <laughs> we only have Why about one minute. Why did he curse you out? Did he think he, he, you'd he stopped got, it? Yeah, he got, he got flustered. The, wow. Yeah. We only have about a minute left, Julie, and the, we've been inundated with people <laughs> for this little show that we do in Southampton, uh, people who are your fans all over the world. Is there anything you want to kind of take them out with? I mean, you've just oh. reached people all over. Well, mostly my gratitude. I don't really know what to say except gratitude. Um, it, it is so lovely, and people are so friendly and warm and generous. I I've rarely have anybody that comes up and, and uh, sort of tells me off and is mean and <laughs> cruel. It's imagine. mostly, oh my gosh, how lovely to meet you. She and, has the and nicest fans in the I world. Do, I do. They say they always say thank you. They're like, thank you for the joy. Well, I would like to say family. thank you, Julianne. Absolutely. Thank, thank you, you And Emma Walton thank for joining you. us today. This was so fun. I'm thank so you guys. grateful for this one on my, on my right. Uh, stage, stage left. Stage right. And you've been listening to us here, Bridget Leroy and Alex Sokolov on Sundays on thank the East you, End. Lewis. Well, thank, thank you for coming on the Everybody air. Be and well, stay well. Funding for Sundays on the East End is provided in part by CP Complete Construction and Renovation, with additional support from the Independent and from Just Beyond Infinity Googleplex.
truly pleased.